depending on how I edit this, our lovely audience, this will be the fourth or fifth episode of the Sunday Stroll podcast. I think I will end up, you know, splicing this into two different parts. I think that's what we need to do. Um, but right now, um, we are, I'm on with Carissa. Uh, she is our guest again to talk about this issue of race um, in our culture. And hopefully this week we are going to wrap it up and put a nice little bow on it as we talk about solutions. Um, but uh, Carissa, I, talk about um, how the media has shaped our perception of the world right now and what's going on. You started to talk about it just a minute ago. So kind of introduce that. Yeah, absolutely. When I think about um, just our current racial relations that we have going on in America right now, it is so interesting that this is all played out on top of a pandemic that prior to now has been covered so mass, uh, yeah, mass by the media, um, we see it on social media, on the news outlets. You hear it talked about all the time at work. Um, and I just remember one day at work, and I was like, I don't even know who I can believe anymore because it just felt like nobody knew the truth. There were so many things yeah. that felt like people were lying. Like, I don't know, I guess a couple of weeks ago, the CDC came out and said, oh, the virus can't be transferred on surfaces. Mm-hmm. But as soon as like it started to spread out of mainland China, that's all people talked about. No, you can't touch anything. You got to sanitize the world down, you know, before you can even use a buggy or a a shopping cart. Um, (laughs) Yep. um, You know, and people, it, it was just crazy. And it just felt like there was fear constantly. Like somebody could be asymptomatic and you could get it and you not know it. So you need to wear a mask if you think you could have it or if you don't First they have said, it. don't wear a mask. Right. And yes. then they said, yes, wear yes, yes. a mask. <laughs> yeah. And so then it's they, like, you know, they said sanitize, use hand sanitizer. But now they're saying, oh, wait, but it doesn't transfer very easily on surfaces. <laughs> right. So it's like, who in the world can we believe? And it, I don't remember what class I was in, but we talked about relative truth. Truth being relative. And it is like, that is exactly what is happening. Yes. Well, in this case, relative truth, you can literally draw a line right in between Democrat and Republican. And that is so dangerous because Mm -hmm. somewhere in the midst of that, there is truth about race relations in our country and there is truth about the coronavirus. (laughs) And we can't, like, the media is literally, like, shoveling us a one-sided narrative and it's so detrimental like think about I don't know if you've seen any videos of like rioting and looting and all these different confrontations with police officers and it's so dangerous because those videos are edited yes like on both sides like Mm -hmm. they show and I, I get it. Some of them show like legit police brutality and some of them show rioters and looters literally assaulting and instigating police but again mm-hmm. you don't you're not there you don't right. see the whole scenario you don't see the whole situation and these videos are being cut to manipulate us yes. you know and i've gotten to the point where i don't trust any of it 
and, and and I think it's like very appalling and negative to me that you're cutting these videos and making them go viral to stir up division like to yes. stir up angry emotions like because division and that's the exact opposite of what we need right now you know especially mm-hmm. between the black community and police I mean we have black police officers right. that basically people are saying it doesn't matter that you're black you're a police officer you're the enemy what yeah It's the uniform, the uniform. Well, you know, like this also goes back to my husband loves 90s rap. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, he I I just recall some, you know, lyrics just from them. They talk about that. You know, even if you were a police officer and you're black, you're just doing it to impress the white people. You know, they would talk about in their music, and this was back in the 90s when all the riots and stuff were going on and all the violence going on in, in California. Um, but I think it's interesting that I think they people today would even still probably hold to that as, well, maybe that's why the African-American police officer is a cop is so he can impress his white partner or, you know, whatever. See, that in itself is to me a racist statement absolutely like you you can't fathom that this person may want to protect their community and take pride in enforcing the law and you know being a part of that system like is that so uncomprehensible like that's a completely um I mean, you just made up that motivation. Right. Like, you literally just made it up, and then you said, hey, this is why you do this. And you have these black police officers over here saying, excuse me, I'm a free-thinking individual. Right. (laughs) And that's not why I do what I do. Yes. Well, and my my aunt and I were speaking about this today. She said, you know, there are people who act out in every racial group, you know, and we don't say, well, the whole group of people is like that. Right. Right. But for some reason, we do that. Um, and I don't know, it's just interesting what we, what we choose to, to do it about, you know, um, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Like I've heard, um, we have to get back to like speaking to people as individuals Mm -hmm. and we can speak to them as individuals within their context. You know what I mean? Understanding that they are a black woman, an Asian woman, whatever, like where they come from. Um, but it's so interesting to me that you know, it's constantly being said, like, don't treat um, the black community as a monolith. Like, we don't all Mm -hmm. think the same thing. We're not all the same way. But at the same time, you want to treat yourselves that way because Mm -hmm. you're you're saying, no, we all feel this. And if you're a black person and you don't feel this and you're rejecting this, then you're not really black. You're not really part of the culture. You're not really part of the community. And it's like, what like no aren't we supposed to treat people and same thing with the white community you're saying oh well you've never said or done anything racist but just by being white right I know you have these motivations right it's just like I just feel like that's a complete regression I really do and you know I I wonder once again like through like just the timing of all of it like do we think that people have just gotten to a point where their true colors are coming out or they have nothing else to do. So they just, you know, (laughs) they just 
put all their energy into these things. You know what I mean? It's just interesting. Like because, what? Um, just finding the negative in everybody or just assuming, like, I know that the um, unemployment rate is through the roof, you know? Yeah, that's definitely a factor for sure. So I know that, you know, people say, well, why have larger national rights not happened up to now? And honestly, I truly believe it's because not enough people, it was in their face and they had the time right, to do something about it. And, um, and I think we should do something about it. I told somebody not long ago, I wish I could go and protest with others. Yeah. Yeah. But, I'm so afraid I'll get into a group and then get involved with the bad group. <laughs> like, oh, no, I didn't mean to get with this group. Well, I mean, people are judging others for feeling that and saying that. But, it's that, I mean, that's a very real fear. I want to be a part of a peaceful, godly protest. Like, I don't want to be a part of something that is destructive. And, and no, I'm not going to justify rioting and looting, stealing and destroying property right that's sin like no i'm not gonna say oh well there's just a little bad in with the good no mm -mm, that that's bad there are good peaceful protests like it's so insane that we can't just acknowledge that that there can be a bad and good thing in the same place yes um but but what makes more money it makes more money when they get to throw that out there oh people will tune in click whatever right that's another thing our society has become What's going to draw more attention? Not the peaceful stuff. Right. More views, more clicks. Yes. Um, So that being said, talking about overarching solutions, last week we talked about um, the church being where the marginalized and the oppressed in their community are and the church speaking about race relations um, and issues uh that the black community faces um i think you know that's really important and um i don't know did you watch that matt chandler clip for that matt chandler sermon i was not a really good explanation i need to i need to do that that was on yeah so we talked about how you know for and i hope this helps people understand like for sex trafficking victims or for mothers who are in uh, dire circumstances and who are considering abortion, the stance of the church is not just, well, they just need the gospel. Right. Like only. (laughs) And that's very true. Like everyone needs the gospel that um, does not have it. But for any victim of injustice or oppression, the church mobilizes into action right and um i think it's really hard right now because believers at large recognize that rioting and looting is sin and they don't want to be a part of that Mm -hmm. but you know there is a place for godly peaceful protest that can begin in your church building and go out onto the street um and also to have really good back and forth conversations with um brothers and sisters in Christ who are people of color, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that's the kind of thing we need to be doing. And Atara mentioned something. um, I don't know if you have been in a situation like this, but um, she said she has realized that she has to start when she hears a bad joke Mm -hmm. and someone, you know, they'll say a qualifying statement like, oh, no offense, Atara, you know, or like, oh, Atara, I didn't mean it like that, you know, or 
the or they'll just refrain from saying those things when she's around she has learned like she used to just let it roll off because she's like oh it doesn't really matter I don't really care whatever you know but now she has realized like no it's my job to actually speak up in that moment and make things uncomfortable and correct that person you know like and and I told her I was like you know what that's really the same for gossip you know like that's the same like we as believers need to always be doing that um and so I thought that was a really good way too that the church can take a hold of this is just to like speak up you know (laughs) in that moment so um I, I don't know that once again, just with the times, um, I feel like everything that we're going through, I feel like it's going to be so clear who loves the Lord and who doesn't, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he is, what is it? She thing the, that's probably the wrong word. Um, clearing the fields, you know what I mean? Like purifying yeah, the yeah, church. Yeah, yeah. Like we're going to see people who genuinely care for others. Like Christ has called us to care for them, you know, stand up when we need to, like he is doing that. And I think he's spurring those who love him on saying, look at this injustice, you know, look at what's going on in your world, in your backyard, front yard, wherever, you know, I think we're finally, I don't know if we're finally seeing it or it's just in front of our faces and we can't get away from it. So it's kind of like, you need to look at it. Yeah. So I, and I've heard so many things of like how to, I think so many times we have like racism in our speech and we don't realize it. Like what you were saying with Atara, like calling it out. Actually, you know, that does offend me or that's not really the best thing. Like right. people just say stuff um, idly, you know, uh, yep. scripture says we will give a account for every idle word that we speak. We say things all the time not thinking about what we are saying yeah yeah um that is so evident (laughs) what we're seeing today um yeah and I yeah I think we just need to speak up and be better about just dealing with these issues head on I think for a long time there has been you know it's that colorblind narrative that like mm -hmm. oh if we don't talk about it if we don't mention it to our kids like you know then the issue will just go away like Mm -hmm. we don't talk about it then it's not an issue but that has proven to not be true at all Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know we have to look at people as individuals we have to hear their experiences um we don't say that about you especially since you know we have such a history of injustice when it comes to race in our country. Like we, it, it's there. It's glaring us in the face. We have mm-hmm. to talk about it, you know? And um, I think people just want to cover up the ugly. It's like, but you, we need to address it. Like, it doesn't matter if you cover it up. It still happened. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, sweeping it under the rug doesn't make it go away. Um, or And just honestly, changing the laws to give legal equality doesn't change the culture. Right. It has you to know? be a heart change. It has right. to be a heart change. Right. And yes, it's, like it, it is sin, but like everybody else is saying with this, what other sin do we talk about? We're like, oh, well, it's just a heart issue. Well, you know, everything else that we do that sin is also a heart issue, but we also tell people to act, you know, right. or change. Right. And we've seen a lot of people just say, oh, well, it's a heart issue. Like, no, <laughs> like, 
so what are you going to do about it, you know? Right. It is a hard issue. Um, And we mentioned this in the first podcast, too, of, like, you know, go further with it. Not just any, you know, prejudice regarding the race, but, like, class, you know? I, um, I realized that in myself, just, like, being around uh, people who are impoverished, you know, or homeless people, like, it can be uncomfortable. I was, I've never been homeless, you know, like, I, I've never been in those desperate and dire situations. And so uh, it goes back to what we were saying about as the church, we need to be willing to be uncomfortable and be around people that are not like us. And we need to check ourselves as far as our partiality, like James too. Like, are you showing partiality to the rich family that walks in your church mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning, you know, are, or are, and are you saying to them, oh, you sit here in a good place. Are you paying special attention to them and not to the poor? You know, yeah. it's important. I think, would you agree? I don't know what you see on your side, because we all have obviously different perspectives, but would you even say that? Sometimes we don't even look for people who are different than us. We just surround ourselves with people that are just like us. Yes. Or people that are better than us. Like you said, the rich family. So sometimes we're not even aware that there is a poor family. You know, like we just completely turned a blind eye. Um, Yep. And that, like, I mean, that sanctification Mm -hmm. of the attitude of Christ is to be gravitated towards the weaker person Mm. towards the person who is oppressed or to the person who is in need. And it's so countercultural and it's so counter our flesh (laughs) because we don't want to do the hard thing. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I feel this in myself so much of just like, I don't want to have the hard conversation where it takes all the effort on my part, you know, or Mm -hmm. I don't want to, you know, talk to someone that's hard to talk to or be in a situation where I feel uncomfortable And, um, I think too, that comes from, we have this like skewed idea of self-care and rest Mm. like, oh, well, it's the Sabbath, you know, like I don't, (laughs) I need to be resting or I don't want to put myself in uncomfortable situations. But like, if no, if we were truly resting in the Lord, like going to him in prayer, finding rest in the truths of God, not just like binging on Netflix, We would have (laughs) mental capacity and space in our lives to welcome in the hurting and welcome in the broken. And no, it wouldn't be taxing. I mean, it would be in a sense, but it's also life-giving, you know, because you know that uh, you are being Jesus to that person. Yeah. That is so interesting that you bring that up about the Sabbath. Um, Oh, that's so interesting that you said not really interesting because, you know the Lord says what he has for a reason. But um, I've been going through the book of John with our youth girls. And um, I was just listening to the audio Bible and it got to um, the healing pool on the Sabbath in Mm -hmm. John five. And, you know, Jesus goes to the healing pool and he asked the man, like, you know, do you want to be healed? And the guy was like, sir, I have nobody put me in the pool. Like he went to the hurting people. He went to the people at that pool that were in the most desperate of places. And then 
the Pharisees got mad at him because he was healing on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. He was healing during the rest time. They were mad because he did something to help another person. You know, yeah. like that's the root of it is they just wanted to keep the law. Oh, they and, were, and yeah, like, like they were holding on to their right. structure and their legalism so yes. much that they couldn't even see the work of God right in front of them. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there's a good sermon. Oh, gosh. I really want to give credit to who it's by, but it's about like uh, godly interruptions mm-hmm. and how um, like and it's from I remember it's from the uh, woman who, you know, the crowd is following closely behind oh, yeah. Jesus and the woman grabs his robe because she knows if she can just touch yes. him, she will be healed. And he it. stops and he feels the power go out of him. And he's like, he takes the time to heal that woman and address her. Right. And like, it, it, he was on his way to heal somebody else, I think, mm-hmm. to cast out a demon. He's like, nope, I'm going to stop uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, pay attention to this hurting person. And I think we in ministry, it goes back to like that career mentality of ministry of like, just this is our job. This is what we have to do that mm-hmm. like, we don't stop like on that Sunday morning to go yeah you have a schedule or you have whatever you're doing but what about like be Jesus to this hurting person right you know right. I think that's the Samaritan really... <laughs> the right Samaritan. the good Samaritan mm-hmm. the good Samaritan yeah yeah um anyway that was a I mean totally still applicable I think but yes. <laughs> yeah back to overarching solutions right. to this issue um I think the church is talking more about it on the broad scale, which is good. Mm-hmm. I think that's a start. Um, we mentioned, though, too, like, I think there needs to be, just like I believe there needs to be social work reform, like, a lot of social work reform. I think there needs to be police reform, mm-hmm. um, big time. And I wish Dr. Haynes was on to tell us about the organization, but um, better training, obviously, Eight weeks is not enough training. I know it's different in every state, but I think that's pretty a good rule of thumb. Like it's probably accurate for every state. I don't think it would be significantly more. You know, yeah. what I mean? like I'm sure somebody would be like, no, in in Washington we have 45. We, you know, right, I'm right, sure right. We find out about that. Yeah, and I think too, like raising. <laughs> people will so gawk at this but raising the pay for real because that's what I feel about social workers I'm like if you want better quality better caliber social workers you should raise the pay and I I believe the same about police like because you have more to leverage when you only pay thirty thousand dollars a year I mean dang that thirty thousand dollars a year I mean you're gonna get you're I'm sorry you're gonna get lower quality candidates Yes, because mm-hmm. people who have high skill sets and high levels of training are not going to do that job for $30,000 a year. Yeah, it's just true. Do you and, know if veterans like if they are able to get more? Because I know a lot of people who have been in military that are in. Yeah, well, it's different count you know yeah by the county you're in the funds the county has and then the funds the state government has obviously um I know in my county and in many Georgia counties it is it hovers from 30 to 40 like you can get 
periodic raises, but it's very similar to social workers in that mm. when there's no funds for raises, I don't get a raise and it mm. stinks, <laughs> you know, like, and, and here's what happens in social work. And I know it happens in police work too, is that as soon as you get a higher level of experience or like me, I'm going to get my master's. As soon as you get a higher level of education and you have something to leverage yourself out of that position, which is mm. like such a hard, hard, like long laborious job with difficult people in difficult situations, putting your life at risk. As soon as you can get out of that to, for more pay, that's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone would do that. And yeah. so it keeps this cycle of turnover and, you know, um, incompetence really. Cause again, I'm, I'm drawing a lot of par- parallels to social work just cause that's what I know. But like when, um, I know for our turnover rate, the horrible thing about it is that you get a brand new, just out of college social worker. And in the process of them trying to learn the ropes, they're making mistakes Mm -hmm. in very real lives, in very real situations with families and children. No pressure. (laughs) Right, right. Like, and, and it's not their fault. I mean, they're just trying to learn. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. any profession can handle that on a small scale. But when you have that on a large scale, like you do in social work or like you do in police work, that's when it creates a lot of problems because yes. you have on a broad scale now, you have these newbies who are making tons of mistakes, you know, and I don't know, I just have a lot of empathy for police officers in those hard, difficult situations, because I think about when I was new to my job and how overwhelming it was and how I was just trying to do the right thing. But in those complex situations, it's really hard to know what the right thing is. Yeah. You know, I actually heard of a police officer. I don't know if you've heard of this, but a police officer in South Georgia who was like brand new and ended up killing a man because he was, trying to assault him and he was like brand new and you know I think wow if that guy had more training or more time or like you said more money you know what could have helped that situation you know um it I agree with you I think there needs to be rather than pulling all funds from all these places why not reorganize you know Surely and that's getting so more money ironic. than they need. <laughs> that's so ironic to me that the solution being heralded is defund. Yeah. When that's the exact opposite of what they need. Right. Like they need more funds. And and then the second side of that, so you have the newbies, right? But then on the other side of that mountain, you have the burnout mm. and the post traumatic stress yeah. disorder that many of these police officers are suffering from the hypervigilance that many of these police officers are suffering from because they're constantly putting themselves in dangerous situations. They're constantly going out on calls Mm -hmm. where people are calling because of a dangerous incident, right? And they're in charge of keeping that peace. They're in charge of keeping people safe. So that creates neurologically a response system that is hard to shut off, Mm -hmm. you know, and you get to a point where, and I know this for, again, for social workers is that because I've experienced it too. If you don't take care of yourself, if you brush it off, if you just keep going with your life and move past it and you don't deal with it, mm-hmm. that anxiety will make you 
well, it will cause you to make very bad decisions mm. for it, whether it's anxiety, whether it's just hardness and, and looking at clients or looking at the people you're supposed to be protecting as criminals or look and looking at them, not in the image of God, like that hardness will cause you to do horrible things. Yeah. I think like we saw in George Floyd's case, you know, right. just not looking at people like people, you know, like you should be looking at them. And so I think too, like programs about training on self-care, uh, about secondary post-traumatic stress, you know, um, making sure officers have paid time off and that they're taking it, I think is really important. Like mm-hmm. how you schedule shifts. These guys are doing like 12 hour shifts, you know, right. that's, you, and you don't know what in the world you're about to face in 12 hours. It's not right. like you're just doing a desk job where it's the same thing over and over again. Yeah. You could be like, what was it last week? I think we said somebody could be rescuing a cat and then, you know, stopping a suicide or some other yep. really high intensity thing. It's like, those are very different and you have to be ready at any time for anything. Right. And I can't even imagine, like, it's hard enough for me. Most the like the worst I've dealt with is like people cussing me out, telling mm-hmm. me I'm a horrible person, like just being very like, you know, verbally aggressive, aggressive towards yes. me. I can't even imagine being in physical altercations or okay. knowing that like physical altercations are a possibility every time I go to work. Yeah. Like, I don't think I could do it. either. I could never do that. I could right. never. It definitely takes a special person for sure. And I mean... I've never seen like two women be in a cop car together. You know what I mean? So I, I think it's normally like a man and a woman if there ever is a woman, but I just think like, could I do that as a woman? You know, I mean, I guess I could, but you know, if there's this big old man, I don't know. I, that's, well, that's it. Like no wonder. And then if you're never trained in de-escalation tactics, right. you know, how mental health works, how to negotiate, like, I went through a mental health first aid training and when you have a psychotic person in front of you and they're like telling you crazy, crazy off the wall things, you're just supposed to agree with them. Like that's how you deescalate them. If you tell them, oh, that's not real. That's not true. Like you need to come back to reality. They will get more and more aggressive and more and more hyped up and become more and more of a threat. And so it's like simple things like that that if a police officer doesn't know that they like that situation is going to escalate and then of course you're going to resort to pulling your gun out because that's like that's like the um like the way you you know get someone to stop if you don't have other tactics to Mm -hmm. use you know what I mean yes well and sometimes especially if you get people that are on drugs um sometimes if you taser them pepper spray them they don't stop (laughs) you know um I've heard a story from a I don't know if he's still um a police officer or not there was some stuff that happened but he was telling me like one of his first first nights on duty he was like trying to tackle this massive man who was on drugs and would not stop he said we tased him like four times like yeah he was still going I'm like I can't even imagine (laughs) you know and they have to do it regularly yeah and how in the world do you come home number one not 
you know, partake of substances yourself? And number two, how do you flip that switch so that you can be with your family? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a huge, like, that's a big reform is, like, instituting debriefings. I know, like, for Georgia DFACs, we get, like, some free sessions of counseling. Like, I don't know if that's also available to police officers that are employed with the state, but, like, that would be great. Um, Really destigmatizing getting your mental health addressed Mm -hmm. within a sheriff's office, you know, like, that would be a great thing. Um, Yeah, it's, uh, it's rough. Yeah. And people want to attack them now. So it's like, we're not really making the situation better for them. It's kind of making it worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, and once again, seeing others and as fellow image bearers of the Lord. That goes for police officers. That goes for someone who's black, Hispanic, um, Asian, yeah, white, the drug head. Mm-hmm. You know, name, the list goes on. That person at the end of the day is still an image bearer. And I think that, Blake, is the hardest thing. Because if we can see that person as equal to us in that sense, as also being an image bearer, that we are no greater than them, I think that and the Lord just changing the hearts is going to be the only way we see change. Because what is it? Empathy? 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 Sorry, I always get empathy and empathy. You know what I'm saying? To have one of those <laughs> um, for another person. Oh, I think on. that's when we will truly see change. Yeah. Um, I think that, um, too, that goes kind of what you're saying goes to like a culture of accountability within a yes. police department. Yes. And we're, you know, trying to cultivate that within social work too of like if you see another social worker doing something not the right way or you know talking about a client or treating someone with disrespect like say something you know kind of goes back to what we said before about the church like if you see something happening that is not right like say something you know and um and not in a shaming way right but just like hey like it may be helpful if you just did it the right way first or if you didn't talk about that person that way, like, you know, cause, um, that really creates a culture too, where it's not as much of an issue then. Yeah. That would have saved George Floyd's life. Probably. If that well, yeah. There were, there were who felt uncomfortable. Were, mm-hmm. You could see he's like shifty. He's looking back and forth. He's really uncomfortable. Like if he had turned around and be like, Hey man, uh, you know, let's put him in the car or I think you should, you know, that could have changed it all. Yeah. And we don't know what was going on with them, you know, and now no matter what was going on with them, they now have to probably as of right now, I don't think anything's happened, but they will probably have to pay a consequence um, for being bystanders. Yeah. I think they've all been charged. Oh, okay. okay. With something. If and, I'm not mistaken. And- if I am wrong, I remember learning in a psychology class about the bystander effect. You know what I mean? So people are afraid to speak up because they think, oh, somebody else will do it. 
you know yeah yeah. people are not likely to speak up so being bold enough to speak up yeah for sure dr haynes can you tell us that name of the organization that wanted to institute all oh, these positive can't reforms wait. and actually police departments it's called eight can't wait dot uh, org and so they went through the research and developed eight different things that they felt that would be helpful for police departments to review and then try to incorporate into what they do and so you know it's things like banning chokeholds right yeah. chokeholds have been a problem let's ban the chokeholds um, yeah and then also um, a culture. So you guys were just talking about accountability. And that's one of the things that they have tried to implement is to create a culture of accountability. Dr. Marie Taylor, who is Dean of um, Criminal Justice at Truett McConnell, also said that that is um, a key thing. And when she looks at this particular incident, that's what bothers her, is that there was no accountability, um, neither mm. within the po- police department, right. but then also bridging uh, with the community and creating a count, uh, culture of accountability to your the community that you're serving uh, yeah. as well. And so that's all a part of their yeah. mission, which has been slightly drowned out by the defund the police folks. But, but um, that was, you know, their, their approach was, what are some small things that we can do? How can we better train folks? And um, how can we better relationships between police and uh, the communities they serve? So um that has but yeah Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right the bystander effect is uh something i think we forget about uh as well that people oftentimes will go into a mode where they won't say anything and then for the folks who are watching it you know they become traumatized and so they may freeze and not say anything as well and we may even be able to apply that to the officers at some point that uh, they may go into just a different mode yeah. and are complying rather than thinking about how this may be influencing a life um, <laughs> in many ways. So and a lot right. of different things happening, but that bystander effect is very real that we'll, we'll, we'll and conformity, right? So conformity, Sol- Solomon Ashes yeah. conformity, we're going to come in and we're going to conform and, um, do what other people are doing rather than go against the grain. It's harder to go against the grain. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I also think too, like there, there's so many laws and regulations that I just think are unnecessary. <laughs> I mean, you, you see like these, the, these horrible situations over the past 10 years have been over such minor instances and infractions of the law. And I think what we forget is like, anytime we institute a new law, like the, at the end of that law is the government's force pointed at us. You know what I mean? Like I think about Flando Castile, wasn't yeah. he pulled uh-huh. over for just having a brake light out? Uh-huh. For just uh-huh. having uh-huh. a brake light out. Okay, like that officer, uh-huh, and uh-huh, we talked uh-huh. about hypervigilance a minute ago, Dr. Haynes, but still, like that officer should uh-huh. not be going into that situation expecting to use force or violence. Like okay. you're pulling them over to let them know their brake lights out, you know, like, and I, I wasn't Eric Garner. Um, I think he was selling right. like yeah, cigarettes illegally on the street, right? Yeah, so... Okay, I'm sorry, but that is kind of 
a dumb law. <laughs> like, it, there's no reason to uh, be that violent right. with someone right. breaking a law like that. You know, it just, there seems to be uh-huh. no proportion yeah. here. And I think some of these laws are just uh-huh. so frivolous. Yeah. Do you think it sometimes it's just like some of these people just look suspicious and so they already have like heightened attentions going in? You know what I mean? So like, uh-huh. yeah, they were only doing this small thing bad, but what was the officer? What did he, what was the last call he had just gotten off of? You know, but, that, but that's the know. problem. Well, yes. and that goes back to what you're saying right. about right. self-care and stuff. But that's, again, the problem with quote-unquote someone looking suspicious like someone may look a certain way to you but like you can't assume anything about them right you know what I mean like it that goes back to the profiling issue and Mm -hmm. now maybe again and it shouldn't change that's the thing and it's true of social work too you may know someone's history. Like, let's say you know someone's so you rap sheet or you're familiar with this guy, with this guy that, that you've got, got a call about. He's breaking the law or whatever. You, you have, have to come into that situation with new eyes and new assessment skills. You know, like you can't assume you know, you know what's, what's happening. happening. Hey, but like, I, I think, think there's, there's a little back, like playing, like we're repeating ourselves. Okay, I think it's better now. I just wanted to tell yeah, you. Yeah, I did hear that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so. Yeah, I just I... think all around reform, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and you have to start somewhere. But like we talked about, just because we change a law doesn't mean it's going to change the heart. So even if these new laws are implemented, it can be a starting place you know, realizing that there is a problem, which I, I guess you'd have to be blind and live under a rock if you didn't think there was a problem, you know, um, but just seeing, okay, yeah, this is an issue, you know, let's make steps, positive steps to try to prevent these things in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, definitely some of those reforms, uh, and I think, you know, based in research, that's really important you know, reforms based in research. We know things about PTSD now and post-secondary stress. We know about hypervigilance now. Um, You know, we know all of these things and we need to use it to our advantage, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. Right. Use what we have for the good, not just for knowledge. Like, use your knowledge for good. Um, So, yeah, I, you know, I think those are good solutions and i mean i just want to emphasize again the the church needs to be at the forefront of this and the church is going to be the church should be the agent of change for Mm -hmm. every issue of injustice or oppression in our society you know and so um speaking up addressing it where you see it encouraging your leaders to speak about it um, and I think too, just like having honest conversations, uh, with your friends and with your family and being open to being uncomfortable mm-hmm. until change starts with us, it can't change in others. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I, okay. We can end on this. The way Matt Chandler said in that sermon, he said, we have 
surrendered our inheritance to the world. Mm. It is our inheritance to deal with these issues as the church. Like it is our job. Like it is what we are meant to do. And we've given that job over to the world because we've refused to deal with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's brought chaos. (laughs) Absolutely. So we need to lead in it. All right. Well, Carissa, this has been great. It's been the Blake and Carissa hour. (laughs) A little sprinkled Dr. Haynes in it. It's Um, because we did that project together. (laughs) (laughs) That one time in class. (laughs) Just prepared. That's awesome. Um, So, yeah subscribe to our podcast listen to it share it with your friends we're newbies but we're trying bear with us and we'll see you guys next week bye carissa